Welcome everyone to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain of JHE Ministries, and I'm so glad you're listening today. In our study, we are unpacking the book of Mark, and last time we finished with chapter 3 with a discussion on the unpardonable sin, and now we are ready to start chapter 4. So turn with me to chapter 4, verse 1 of the Gospel of Mark, and let's get into it. Now the Gospel of Mark has only two sections of sustained teaching by Jesus. This passage and chapter 13. Now chapter 4 contains four of Jesus' parables. We have the sower, the lamp, the secretly growing seed, and the mustard seed. Parables are the most striking feature in the teachings of Jesus. And although he did not invent this form of teaching, parables are found both in the Old Testament and also in the writings of the rabbis. He used it in a way and to a degree that was unmatched before his time or ever since. Many parables are stories that are taken out of ordinary life. They're used to drive home a spiritual or a moral truth, but they're not always stories. Sometimes they are brief similes, they are comparisons, analogies, or even proverbial sayings. The Greek word parable includes all of these meanings. And for centuries, parables were interpreted allegorically. Each element of the story was assigned a specific meaning. Thus, Augustine found in the parable of the Good Samaritan references to Adam, Jerusalem, the devil and his angels, and the law and the prophets, and even Christ and the church. Now we are more apt to look for the one main point that the parable teaches. Though some clearly have more than one point, the principle is generally valid. Now Jesus' teaching in his parables is more than general religious truth. It, it, it always related in a dynamic way to his message and his mission. And at the same time, like all scripture, the parable contains truth that's relevant for God's people everywhere throughout history. So turn with me to verse 1. I want to take a look at the first nine verses here of chapter 4. And verse 1 begins, And again he began to teach by the sea. And this is Jesus. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now going back to verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus was teaching by the Lake of Galilee. The presence of the large crowd shows Jesus' popularity as a teacher. In fact, the crowd was so large that he found it convenient to use a small boat that was pushed out from the shore. And he used that as a lectern, if you will. Actually, he sat while he taught. Now, what is contained in chapter 4, verses 1 to 34, is only part of Jesus' teaching in parable, in parable in verse 2. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And again, the crowd made it necessary for Jesus to use a boat, basically as his pulpit. And he was just a short way from the beach. And again, he taught spiritual lessons from the world of nature about him. He could see spiritual truth in the natural realm. It is there for all of us to see. And Jesus taught the people by telling them parables, telling them short stories, using familiar scenes to explain the spiritual truths of life. Now, this method of teaching compels the listener to think. It conceals the truth from those who are too stubborn or too prejudiced to hear what is being taught. Now, most parables, like I've said before, have one main point. So we must be careful not to go beyond what Jesus intended to teach. Now, as we move into verse 3, I kind of want to touch on sowing the seeds. Seed was sown by hand. As a farmer would walk across the field, he would throw handfuls of seed onto the ground from a large bag that he usually had slung across his shoulders. So the plants did not grow in these neat little rows that we see is accomplished by today's modern machinery. But no matter how skillful, no farmer could keep some of the seed from falling by the side of the road, from being scattered among the rocks and thorns, or from being carried off by the wind. So the farmer would throw the seed pretty liberally and enough would fall on the ground to ensure the harvest. So this parable has to do with the sower, the seed, and the soil. The wayside soil was too hard for the seed to penetrate. So the birds come and they would eat the seed. The stony ground had a thin layer of dirt covering a bed of rock. Shallowness of earth prevented the seed from taking deep root. The thorny ground had thorn bushes that would cut the seed off from its nourishment and from the sunlight 
So it would act as choking it out. It would be choking it. The good ground, of course, was deep. It was fertile. It had the conditions for favorable for seed growth. Now, some seeds produce 30-fold, some 60, and some even 100. But the parable of the sower begins and ends with a call for careful attention, suggesting that its meaning may not be self-evident. Alert minds are needed to comprehend its truth. The background of the parable is in the rural life in Palestine. Seed was sown in a broadcast fashion, which means it was just kind of scattered by hand. We see that in verse 3 and verse 4. The sower, we see how he deliberately sowed it on the path. We see in rocky, we see that it falls in rocky places and among the thorns because the sowing preceded plowing. Now, however, if plowing was delayed for any time at all, the consequences Jesus mentioned inevitably resulted. So the great emphasis in the parable is on the act of sowing the seed, the kingdom of God breaking into the world through Jesus, rather than on the soils into which it is sown, the response to Jesus' preaching. Now, although difficulties face God's kingdom, it grows and ultimately produces an abundant harvest. Now, we hear with our ears, but there is a deeper kind of listening with the mind and with the heart that is necessary in order to gain spiritual understanding from Jesus' words. Some people in the crowd were looking for evidence to use against Jesus, and others truly wanted to learn and to grow from Jesus' words. Jesus' words were for the honest seekers. So let's move on with verse 10 here. We'll take a look here at verses 10 to 12. So join with me as we begin to read verse 10 where it says, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. The question about the parable was directed towards their general purpose in Jesus' teaching. Jesus had spoken other parables, and the disciples and the other followers of Jesus were inquiring into their purpose. Jesus' teaching is not narrowly limited to the twelve. Jesus came to reveal the truth to all who were open to receive it. When the disciples were with Jesus alone, they asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. And Jesus explains to them that only those with receptive hearts were permitted to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. A mystery in the New Testament is a, is a truth. So hitherto unknown 
that can only be known through special revelation. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that, number one, the Lord Jesus was rejected when he offered himself as king to Israel. Secondly, a period of time would intervene before the kingdom would be literally set up on the earth. Thirdly, during the interim, it would exist in spiritual form. All who acknowledge Christ as king would be in the kingdom, even though the king himself was absent. And fourthly, the word of God would be sown during the interim period with varying degrees of success. Some people would actually be converted, but others would be only nominal believers. All professing Christians would be in the kingdom in its outward form, but only the genuine ones would enter the kingdom in its inner reality. So verses 11 and 12 explain why this truth was presented in parables. God reveals his family secrets to those whose hearts are open, whose hearts are receptive, whose hearts are obedient, while deliberately hiding truth from those who reject the light that's given to them. These are the people that Jesus referred to as those who are outside. The words of verse 12 may seem harsh. They may seem unfair to the casual reader. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. But we must remember the tremendous privilege which these people had enjoyed. The Son of God had taught in their midst. He performed many mighty miracles before them. Instead of acknowledging Jesus as the true Messiah, they were even now rejecting Jesus. Because they had spurned the light of the world, they would be denied the light of his teachings. Henceforth, they would see his miracles, yet not understand the spiritual significance, not hear his words, yet not appreciate the deep lessons that were in them. There is such a thing as hearing the gospel for the last time. It is possible to sin away the day of grace. Men do drift beyond redemption point. There are men and women who have refused the Savior and who will never again have the opportunity to repent and forgiven. They may hear the gospel, but it falls on hardened ears and an insensible heart. We say where there's life, there's hope. But the Bible speaks of some who are alive, yet beyond hope of repentance. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, for example, says, For, is it, not, or for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, 
since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now these verses are among the most difficult in the entire gospel. It is important to look carefully at the terminology. The word translated secret in verse 11 is mysterion, occurring only here and in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 and Luke chapter 8 verse 10 in the Gospels. Now Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is John the Baptist speaking. Now we see in Luke chapter 8 verse 10 where it says, And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now Paul uses it frequently in his epistles. It does not mean something only for the initiated few. Rather, it emphasizes God's disclosure to humans of what was previously unknown. It is proclaimed to all, but only those who have faith really and truly understand. Now here in Mark, the mystery is the disclosure and the kingdom of God has drawn near in the person of Jesus Christ. The secret has been given to the disciples because they have responded in faith. But to those hardened by unbelief, the entire significance of Jesus' person and mission lies in parables. Some people do not understand God's truth because they're not ready for it. God reveals truth to people who act on it, who will make it visible in their lives. When you talk with people about God, be aware that they will not understand if they're not ready to. Be patient. Take every chance to tell them more of the truth about God. And pray that the Holy Spirit will open up their minds and their hearts to receive the truth and then act on it. Now let's move on to verses 13 and 20. We have the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Verse 13 begins, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. 
Now, there is a slight rebuke in Jesus' statement. As we look at verse 13, Jesus implies that the meaning of the parable of the sower is clear and understandable. If the disciples could not understand this clear parable, how would they understand more obscure ones? So going back to the parable of the sower, the Lord Jesus asked the disciples how they could expect to understand more involved parables if they're not able to understand this simple one. The farmer in verse 14 is Christ himself. And the word is the word of the kingdom, the coming of the reign of God in person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Whereas in the parable itself, the emphasis is on the sowing of the word. In the interpretation, it is on the kind of reception Jesus' word receives. And note that Jesus had already received negative responses to his proclamation. The various types of soil represent human hearts and the receptivity to the word. Now in verse 15, we see we have the wayward soil. The heart is hard. The person, stubborn and unbroken, says a determined no to the Savior. The devil or Satan is pictured by the birds who snatch away the word. The sinner is unmoved and untroubled by the message. He is indifferent and insensible to it thereafter. Now, the seeds sown on the hard beaten path indicate those who have a shallow reception of the word. The devil snatches it from them before it has an opportunity to take root. The seeds sown on rocky places picture another hindrance to proper reception of the word, persecution and trials. This word of Jesus must have been particularly relevant to the Roman church and probably sounded a warning to any who, because of persecution and trials, may have been thinking of defecting from the faith. Such people have no root in themselves. We see the stony ground as we move into verses 16 and 17. Now this person makes a superficial response to the word. Perhaps in the emotions of a fervent gospel appeal. He may make a profession of faith in Christ, but it is just a mental assent. There's no real commitment of the person to Christ. He receives the word with gladness, but it would be better if he received it with deep repentance and contrition. He seems to go on brightly for a while, but when tribulations or persecutions arise because of his profession or whatever he decides that the cost is just too great and he abandons the whole thing claims to be a christian as long as it's popular to do so but persecution exposes his unreality the third group of hearers seem to make good progress but the word is choked out by daily worries that distract them, by wealth that gives a false sense of security, and by anything else that might prevent this sowing word from being productive. The thorny ground, the people of this type also will make a promising start, 
to all outward appearances, they seem to be true believers, but then they become preoccupied with their business. They become preoccupied with worldly worries. They lust after the rich. They lose interest in spiritual things until finally they will abandon any claim to be Christians at all. Now the good ground. Here is a definite acceptance of the word. Cost what it may. These people are truly born again. They are loyal subjects of Christ the King. Neither the world, the flesh, nor the devil can shake their confidence in him. And even among the good ground hearers, there are varying degrees of fruitfulness. Some bear 30-fold, some 60, and the scriptures say also 100. Well, what determines the degree of productivity? The life that is most productive is the one that obeys the word promptly, unquestionably, and joyfully. Some seed does fall on good soil and is productive. Some people are open and receptive to the word of the kingdom. The message gets through to them and issues forth in a productive life. The parable therefore emphasizes our responsibility to listen and to obey. Christ's message to us. Now the four soils represent these four different ways that people will respond to God's message. Now usually we think that Jesus was talking about four different kinds of people, but he may also have been talking about one different times or different phases in a person's life. He may have been talking about how we willingly receive God's message in some areas in our, in our lives, but resist it in others. For example, you may be open to God about your future, but closed concerning how you spend your money. You may respond like good soil to God's demand for worship, but like rocky soil to his demand to give to people in need. See, we must strive to be like good soil in every area of our lives at all times. Worldly worries, the false sense of security that's brought on by prosperity, and the desire for things plagued the first century disciples as they do today. How easy is it for our daily routines to become overcrowded? A life packed with materialistic pursuits will deafen us to God's word. Stay free so you can hear God when he speaks. Now we move on to the responsibility of those who hear the parables of the lamp and the measure. With verse 21 uh, to 25. But I want to hold off till next time with that since we are starting a whole new parable. So until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.